Well, today we're talking about uh, the importance or the value of a good reputation. And um, uh, we're going to examine a lot of scriptures. I know that it'll probably be faster than you can take notes. I will post my notes along with the PowerPoint online. Uh, You can feel free to try to take notes if you'd like, but uh, know that they'll be there available for you afterwards. Let's look at some uh, dictionary um, descriptions of uh, reputation. Now, my wife and I like to use this 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary because it's, um, you know, before all the liberalism and political correctness came in, and it usually has more of a biblical emphasis, uh, obviously, than um, those that are more... Uh, on the internet for sure. So he says it's a good name, uh, the credit, honor, or character which is derived from a favorable public opinion or esteem. And actually, I've you know I've shortened the full description that's in the dictionary. He goes on uh, in a little more detail. And I happen to have a 1991 dictionary, the same uh, Webster dictionary. Uh, in my um, book collection. So let's see how it's changed. Estimation in which a person or a thing, they've added a thing now, it's not a person. (laughs) In fact, the Noah Webster really focused on men. And the reason that would be in that era, men would be the ones who would most likely have a public presence while uh, the women, most of the women anyway, would be homemakers and wives and mothers, and that has changed as well. Um, A person or a thing commonly held, whether favorable or not. Now, see, in 1991, it's either favorable or not. I think in uh, in 1828, it was only talking about a favorable reputation. It's a character in the view of the public or the community. The community for us would be the church, of course. So it's whether it's a public um, reputation or a within the church reputation. And everyone has a reputation. I don't know if you've thought about that or not, but uh, people know you by something, right? You have a, you know, that person is quiet or uh, they're a teacher or whatever. You know, you have a reputation and... You should be concerned about your reputation. I mean, it's something you need to to work on. Reputation takes time, and it takes effort. Uh, You don't develop a good reputation without um, a lot of work, sometimes years of faithfulness and integrity and But on the other hand, a bad reputation can happen in the blink of an eye. Uh, it can happen really quick, and they're very difficult, if ever, to restore. And there are personalities, public personalities, who pay exorbitant amount of money to restore or enhance their reputations, uh, talking about Hollywood or political 
people, whatever, they spend a lot of money to uh, make sure the public has a good uh, reputation of them, feeling of them. But there's a bit of a tension in this, that is in um, making sure you have a good reputation. And the first thing is uh, that the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on that. We're going to see that today in many, many different passages. Um, that you are to work on it, you are to build on it, it's a priority of yours. But um, you're not the only one, or you're not really the one in charge of your reputation because it is the public or the community's um, interpretation of you or, or their acknowledgement of you or whatever they've observed that is what defines your reputation. You don't get to define your own reputation. You're responsible for it. You have to work for it. But um, it actually comes from those who observe you, those who are watching you, those who know you. They're the ones who, even as the dictionary definitions uh, told us, it's public or community opinion of uh, what makes your uh, reputation. Now, I have chosen uh, a number, probably six or so, five or six proverbs that uh, will help us determine what Scripture um, looks for in a good reputation or what they consider a good reputation. It's, none of these are exhaustive, by the way. That is, this is an exhaustive study in the scriptures if you were to go from cover to cover and many different applications and definitions that uh, obviously we're not going to be able to get into today, all of them. So here's one. Do not let kindness or truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and a good repute in the sight of God and man, repute being reputation. So scriptures, binding the scriptures on your heart, uh, and the tablet of your heart is key to having a good reputation. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Once again, um, the scriptures, but I think you're going to find that integrity is a key element. You're going to see that more than once. Integrity is a key element of having a good reputation. You have to be one that has integrity. Proverbs 19.1, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. A good name. A good name is more desirable than great wealth, and favor is better than silver and gold. Now, it's Solomon who's writing or collecting the vast majority of Proverbs, and uh, this applies to him. We're going to do a little study of Solomon a little later, and you're going to see that um, uh, 
his conclusion is that his name was more important than all of the stuff he collected. We'll get too far into that right now. 2011, it is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself. So a lad, young man, a young person distinguishes himself by his deeds, by his conduct, uh, that it's pure and right. Paul uh, talks quite a bit about uh, reputations uh, in his exhortations. Uh, here it is, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 4. Uh, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of servants that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not examine myself, for I am conscious that nothing against I am conscious of nothing against me, yet I am not the one by, uh, I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So let's, let's take this in two parts. So if you wanted to be used by God as a servant, first thing is you need to be found trustworthy. So here's another importance of uh, testimony. If you want to be used in the church by God, by a man like Paul who wants to put you into service, you must be trustworthy. But here Paul understands that the human heart is very deceitful and wicked and who can understand it? So he is not in and of himself. He says, I'm not aware of any sin within me, but I'm not the one who examines me. The Lord is the one who examines me. I can't, uh, I'm not the one who can claim that I am sinless. Only the Lord can do that. But at the same time, you see this tension, once again, the tension. It's his responsibility to have the good reputation, to work at it, to be uh, a steward, and yet he's not the one who has the final uh, say. 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 10 uh, this is when um, Paul's giving instructions to Timothy on how to run the church. And he says, uh, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, and if she has shown hospitality to strangers, and if she has washed the saints' feet, and if she has assisted those in distress... And if she has devoted herself to every good work. Now, there's a lot packed into that passage. We use that even in new members' classes to, first of all, uh, illustrate that the early church had lists, uh, as in membership. But also, they knew an awful lot about their congregants, a lot about the widows. And, and they, know, they knew their history, their service to the church and their family, and uh, whether or not they should, when he's talking about put on the list, uh, this would be for, uh, you know, uh, financial help or whatever she may need as a widow in that era, in that culture. 
So the takeaway is having a good reputation or a reputation for good works. Philippians 2, and we'll look at this passage a little later as well, says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Again, once again, uh, uh, a big big verse. Um, Talks about obedience. But the key thing, key thing we want to focus on right now is the last part there that's underlined. You want that good reputation. You want to do the good works because um, prove yourselves blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked generation. This would be for a Christian who is uh, trying to present Christ's likeness in the world and in a wicked world, uh, which we live in for sure. I mean, we live in a, in a world that is becoming increasingly uh, wicked, seemingly by the day. So to be, um, to, to display Christ, Okay, what am I trying to say? In a, the more wicked that the world gets, the more Christians are going to stand out, right? Uh, I, have, I have ministered uh, for a little while years ago uh, in, in the South, in the Bible Belt, where everybody's a Christian because they were born in America. And the difficulty there of trying to share the gospel is you first have to get them unsaved from a wrong view of salvation, before you can share the good news uh, that they can be saved. But in our world, I mean in the world that's, that uh, we live in, and it's always been wicked, let's, let's not kid ourselves, but it's, it's becoming ridiculously wicked. And so uh, having a good reputation allows us to uh, be examples of Christ and share the gospel. Now, Acts, we're starting out uh, building the church after the day of Pentecost. And um, actually, this is a a different portion here. Let's talk about Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people. uh, He's not a Christian. He is a, a Pharisee. And uh, he stood before the council and gave orders to put the men out for a short time so he could talk to everybody. But the point is here that he, uh, as a leader in the synagogue, was respected by all the people. He had a good reputation, not a reputation as a believer. I mean, I suppose in Judaism, believer in Judaism, not as a believer in Christ. 
Now, here's when the early church is going to select some men to be deacons. And this is, again, uh, a necessity for someone who wants to be of service in the church, someone who wants to be used. They said, therefore, select among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, with whom we may put in charge of this task of serving the tables so that the uh, pastors and apostles could spend their time in prayer and studying the word and preaching and teaching. They chose uh, deacons to serve the tables, to take care of the, the uh, work outside of the teaching of the God and what was necessary, a good reputation. You want to be used in the church, used by God, used in your life. You should want to have a good reputation. Last one in Acts here. And, and this is Cornelius. Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. Again, he's, this is prior to his salvation. This is before uh, he is evangelized by Peter. Was divinely directed by a holy angels to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So the point is here, uh, Cornelius had a reputation of being a God-fearing man, and he was well-spoken of throughout the whole nation. Now, if we think about biblical characters, we can't really exceed uh, Joseph or Daniel of men who were, had good reputations, who were extremely faithful in very uh, difficult circumstances and shined uh, through in, in able to represent the power of God in their lives, trusting in Him. And uh, time will not allow us to uh, do a complete history of them, but I think you understand uh, what I'm talking about there. Saul had a reputation for persecuting Christians. Paul has a reputation for being persecuted for Christ's sake. Now, in this case, we're talking about the same person, and there was a dramatic change in his life, of course, when the Lord met him on the road and converted him, or shone the light on him, and he got converted. But then there was a long period of time that the Lord uh, discipled him in the wilderness before he was presented back to the Christians, and even then, they were very reluctant to allow him in because of his prior reputation. But as we know, he, uh, he was a different man, and his reputation as a Paul is night and day from Saul. So there's a man who has uh, re rehabilitated his reputation or had a completely different reputation. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Now, testimony is same as a reputation. They're almost simultaneous or can be used back and forth. And from the truth itself, 
and we add our testimony, John is backing him up saying, I, uh, I agree with his reputation and his testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So John had proven himself to the congregation, and he is, um, he is presenting Demetrius with a good testimony, backing it up with his own testimony. And this is something um, something would re- could relate to us in the church if we uh, should be building up one another and we should be uh, verifying testimonies of people that we know, encouraging them and defending them if necessary, if their uh, reputation is being uh, unfairly uh, talked about. We should be wanting to defend and build people in our own communities and the church, build them up as John is here of Demetrius. Job had a good reputation and of an upright, man, fear, uh, God-fearing man, if you will. But when God allowed Satan to... Um, test him to take so many things away from him, all of his friends accused him of being a sinner, of sinning. They were coming and counseling him going, this would not have happened to you unless you've sinned. So you know, you got to re- confess your sin, repent. And uh, Job continued to defend himself saying, I, I have examined myself and I don't see any sin here. Only the readers of the book of Job understand what was going on. Only, they, only we who read that book understand that this was a, an argument between God and Satan in heaven, and Job was simply the recipient to prove to Satan that he can hold Job. And the counselors were completely off base. But anyway, uh, Job had a good reputation prior to and after uh, he was restored. So thinking about those particular scriptures we've just gone through and some others that I ran across, I just want to run through uh, a number of uh, definitions of people with a good reputation or characteristics, let's say, of people that have good reputations and see what um, see what we just read through and some others that we will, could find. So kindness, part of a good reputation. Truthfulness, being truthful. Having integrity. I mentioned before, integrity is a key part of a good testimony. They're, they're not the same thing definition-wise, but integrity is a key part. If you want to have a good reputation, you must have integrity. Being trustworthy. Um, Obviously, you have to be trustworthy to have a good reputation. Someone who's untrustworthy would not have a good reputation. Be someone who's known for good works. And we're not talking about work salvation, of course, but someone who has done good works, who presents good works. 
obeying someone who's obedient to the scriptures, not being disobedient, not being... To do things without grumbling or disputing. How about being blameless? And again, if you're, if, <laughs> if you're having trouble keeping up with notes, I promise I will put these notes up on, uh, online with the uh, message. Innocent. That's another key characteristic of someone who has a good reputation. We talked about this earlier, to appear as lights in the world, someone who is distinct from a ungodly world with a godly character representing Christ, will appear as lights in the world. Somebody who's respected. Someone who shows wisdom. In other words, not foolish, full of the Spirit. We saw that in one of the scriptures. Somebody who has a good testimony. As I mentioned before, testimony and reputation are pretty much synonymous. Somebody who's well spoken of. A righteous person. This would again be somebody who is obedient to the scriptures. They're righteous. God fearing. Someone who has good deeds. We covered that earlier. Someone who's distinguished. Remember, the young lads were distinguished because of their behavior, because of their. Good deeds. Finally, the conduct is pure and right. Conduct is pure and right. All right. So, as I said before, there is a tension with reputation in that you are to work hard at your reputation. You're to... um, you're to be obedient and work out your um, your Christian life in such a way that you have a good reputation, but it's really others who are are in charge of what the perception is of your uh, re- reputation, and in fact, uh, some people may try to ruin your reputation. So let's consider uh, the most perfect person, the God-man, and what the Jews and the Pharisees tried to do to him. What was his reputation among the Jews of that time? The Jews and the Pharisees tried to destroy him, uh, the perfect man, They said, these are various things uh, in uh, John chapter 8 that the Jews accused him of. They said that his testimony was not true. When he said, where I 
go, you cannot come. They said, surely he's not going to commit suicide, is he? Because how can he go somewhere that we can't go? They didn't understand him at all. They're accusing him of being suicidal. They picked up stones to stone him. They said he had a demon and was insane. They accused him of blasphemy. They planned to kill him. They got Judas involved. And they eventually arrested and crucified him. So you see that even as hard as uh, someone may work at a testimony, uh, people can come and try anyway to tarnish it. Now, in this case, of course, uh, time and truth go hand in hand, and uh, Christ was proven to be sinless, and they were very sinful in their actions. But I want you to consider this. If they did that to Jesus, and we are, as Christians, we're essentially little Christ, as the, the term meant, um, and if you're obedient to being a Christian and follow in Christ's steps, you know, what do you think that our wicked world is going to do or think of you? I mean, we're seeing that already because if you're not buying into all this transgender stuff and all the garbage that's going on, then uh, the, the world system is going to try to take you down. It's going to be obviously completely opposite of um, what Scripture says and what we live for. As John has said from the pulpit, I think he's preparing, going through First Peter and other passages, he's preparing the church for persecution because what's throughout history, throughout the time of Christ, uh, the church has predominantly gone through persecution. It's really an unusual time in America, for in the past anyway, for that to be looked on as a good thing throughout culture. Because generally, throughout time, throughout the thousands of years, Christians were persecuted and looked down on and, and ostracized from public. And that's coming back. We can see that that's coming back. In the Lord's plans, we know the Lord has plans uh, in the future. And we know the end although the world doesn't, but um, there's going to be times of trouble and tribulation. But besides, uh, you know, people accusing uh, the God-man of all those horrible things, people alone can destroy their own reputation. Somebody who has a good reputation and suddenly is a bad reputation. Here's one example. I'm not a follower of sports, but apparently uh, Mike Vick considered a superstar quarterback, had a reputation, but he had a reputation of owning a very illegal, re re uh, reprehensible, 
I had to find that word, dogfighting team. And he will forever be known as the guy who had this uh, horrible, horrific dog uh, fighting thing. In fact, the whole thing when it was exposed, exposed the rest of the world to realize that that stuff is still going on. I mean, this was hidden from the public and um, he destroyed his reputation. That's the point. He had a point, he had a reputation of being this superstar quarterback, but everybody's going to remember him now for that. Let's think about Lance Armstrong achieved international fame for winning the Tour de France seven consecutive times and was was he was all over every sports magazine everybody was talking about him he was amazing everybody looked up to him until it was discovered that he was using performance enhancing drugs to win all those things and every one of his titles was ripped out lost everything so Again, this is the tension, right? Uh, you're to work out yourself. You're to work on your reputation, and others are the ones who represent uh, your reputation. But in fact, you can ruin your reputation. And I want to take uh, a little time here to talk about Solomon. Solomon. Uh, okay, Solomon, in, um, in the stories in First Kings and Second Chronicles, but in Second Chronicles, the Lord appeared to Solomon as he was becoming king, and he says, "Ask." what I shall give you. So the Lord gives him an opportunity. God gives him an opportunity to ask for anything he wants. And uh, righteously, he says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before the people who, you, um, who can rule this great people of yours. So he, want, he asked for the right thing. He asked for wisdom and knowledge to lead the people of God who he's now being put in charge of. So God answers him and he says, because you have had this in mind and did not ask for riches or wealth or honor or the life of those who hated you or even long life for yourself, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge have been given to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you or uh, none of the wing, kings before you have possessed, nor those who will come after you. So God is essentially saying you're going to be the most wealthy king in history because you ask for the right thing. You ask for knowledge, but the Lord said, I'm going to give you wealth and honor as well. Now, keep in mind, 
In Deuteronomy 17, there is a warning to kings, the kings of Israel. He says, moreover, he, that is the king, whoever the king is, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return to that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, else his heart will be turned away, nor shall he greatly increase silver gold for himself. A couple of verses past God giving him riches and knowledge and wisdom beyond what he asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, Solomon amassed chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. He stationed them in the chariot cities with the king, uh, with the king at Jerusalem. We also know First uh, Kings 11 would be a place to look for, even verse 1. Now Solomon loved many foreign women. He had 700 wives. I'll never understand that one. <laughs> Princes, 300 concubines. And what did, the, what did Deuteronomy warn? That they would draw him away from the Lord, and that's exactly what happened. And the wives turned his heart away away after other gods. So then what happened? Well, now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. So he, uh, who he had appeared to twice. Now, think about what God had done for this man. He had appeared to him twice he granted his wish. He abundantly, beyond any other king, blessed him with all the finances, power, wisdom, and, and he ruined it all. He destroyed it all. The Lord was angry with Solomon, and his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you. And God was uh, gracious enough not to do it in his lifetime, but in his, his son's lifetime. But the kingdom was divided after Solomon passed, and it was never the same. And Solomon's name right now, now let's think about it. Here's a man who had a reputation for being wise. Remember the queen of Sheba came and said, well, what I've heard about you is not even all that I've experienced. Your wisdom is beyond anything. Riches, power, I mean, gold. He made gold and silver like uh, nothing. And yet his sin... Not only did he, not only was God angry with him, but his name was destroyed. His name was synonymous with someone who had grossly 
sinned against God, had uh, sinned against the commandments in Deuteronomy. His name was, was mud, if you will. His name was trash. And we don't hear anything in the book of Kings or in the book of Chronicles. But um, I believe, I just finished a, a class uh, at the university in, on Ecclesiastes, counseling from Ecclesiastes. And it was an interesting class. I, I learned a lot about the book. But Ecclesiastes were, were just about uh, no doubt that that was written by Solomon. I mean, just in his description alone of uh, what he calls himself in the book. But he doesn't use his name. In fact, he uses the Hebrew name, name Kohel or Kohah, which has a pretty wide, um, uh, broad definition. Uh, the, the New American Standard, as you know, calls him the preacher. It could be teacher. It could be proclaimer. I mean, uh, some of the commentaries have a whole list of um, the um, uses, uh, the name. Uh, I'm, I'm not coming up with the terminology I want. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. The point is, Solomon is writing this book. And he's not using his name. Why? Because his name is mud. His, his name is, if somebody at the time said this is something Solomon wrote at this point in his life, uh, they wouldn't even bother. And what does he do? For the first six chapters, he tests every earthly pleasure. Every earthly pleasure to its nth degree. Now think about again. Here is a man who has, he is a king. He has absolute uh, authority to do anything he wants. He has unlimited money. Nothing is preventing him from testing every earthly pleasure to its nth degree. And what does he conclude? We all know, right? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. This is all vanity. But in chapter 7... In verse 1, I should have put the verse up there, but I didn't, I didn't do it. Chapter 7, verse 1, A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. This is a major turning point for Solomon. First of all, he realizes in the good ointment, he's talking about the good things in life. So he's all those good things in life, are not as good as having a good name, which he did not have at this point. This, this is a point of repentance for Solomon, I believe. And I think that's backed up by most commentators. He is repenting of sinning against God in how he led Israel and recognizing that he has destroyed his name. And this curious at first comment, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And I don't think he's talking about at this point, uh, Ecclesiastes, he doesn't talk about um, heaven or 
hell. It's all about earthly things. So what he's really talking about is at the day of one's birth, they have their whole life to live um, in a wicked world, to live for Christ, and the battle is just beginning, right? They have to go through their whole life just like he did with all of these temptations and all of this stuff, but the day of one's death, it's over. You know, no more hassling with uh, what happens on earth and, and what it takes to keep a good reputation. He then goes on uh, to the end of the book. Um, talking about, he's talking about a more virtuous um, pursuit of various things from chapter 7 to chapter 12. Chapter 12, um, at the, the very end of the book, he says, the conclusion, when all is said and heard, is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. So that's his conclusion. This is Solomon's repentance from uh, really destroying his life and, and, and by, by uh, association, Israel, the divided kingdom shortly after. And uh, he is saying, there's nothing, chapters 1 through 6, there is no pleasure in this world that you can pursue that's worth a good name. And he did it to, the, to a degree that none of us will ever be able to do because he had the resources to do so. All right. And I was supposed to click that when I moved to Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I got kind of carried away. Sorry about that. All right. We're coming to the end. We're going to have some time for fellowship and uh, whatnot because uh, we're almost done. So, um, Solomon destroyed his own reputation. Michael Vick destroyed his own reputation. Armstrong destroyed his own reputation. But um, others, some other people, can ruin your reputation, even if it's, uh, well, similar to Christ, right? Similar to Christ, but not the same in this case. And we're talking about uh, some of the injustices that we see in the world, I don't know if you follow uh, the news at all. It's kind of depressing, but uh, there was—it's interesting the names. There's a Daniel Penny in New York and a Daniel Perry in Texas, who are both being charged with murder for what appears to be, to the normal mind, uh, self-defense of people being attacked, of them being attacked, or or protecting people on the subway or his own wife from a person who was out of control. And yet, in our political system, um, they are being not only persecuted, but they're being charged with murder. I know in uh, Texas, 
the governor would like to uh, uh, pardon uh, Daniel Perry, but of course it has to work through the through the systems through the system, and in each case, um, these become a media circus, right? Because all the talking heads have their uh, points that they want to bring out. Even when I was looking through the internet to try to find the real story of Daniel Penny and, da- and Daniel Perry in both cases. Uh, I, I don't know why my search engine just kept bringing up all these liberal outlets that are trashing these guys. Um, and of course, uh, no one is homeless anymore. They're unhoused. And I don't know, I guess words mean things to people. I don't know what, uh, I don't see the difference. But it's uh, everything is... Uh, so this homeless person, Daniel Penny, poor guy, was attacked by this uh, veteran um, as he tried to protect his wife and himself from being uh, from Daniel. But now, um, anyway, they've turned the story around. That's the point. So I would, you know, I don't know every single thing about the case, but what I can read about it and what I hear about it, I mean, those were pretty unfair uh, judgments. In fact, even uh, uh, the, like I said, the governor of Texas wants to try to um, exonerate the one man. But there was a much bigger um, thing that took place uh, a number of years ago. In 2006, uh, three and I have to clarify, white lacrosse players were accused of raping a black woman. She accused them of raping her. And again, all of the people who use race for politics were out on all the news organizations. Their names were dragged across the mud. It was a media circus. Their names, to this day, their names are destroyed, even though... A year later, when it worked its way through the court system, the court determined there was absolutely no evidence of the allegations of rape. They determined it was completely false. In fact, all three men have been given multi-million dollar settlements. I don't remember exactly. I want to say it was like $17 million each for being falsely accused and ran through the mud of our system. This was uh, part of the Me Too movement, if I'm not mistaken, where we we have to believe the accusers without any evidence. And, um, and anyway, it destroyed these men's lives to the point now that they have no uh, presence on, uh, in public. You can't, you can't find them around today because they're in hiding, because there are people who still believe that they were guilty because uh, truth doesn't matter anymore. It's just whatever you feel, whatever you think. And the woman who made the accusation in 2013, she was charged with murdering her husband and is now spending a long time in prison. So in some, you know, to some respects, um, you know, she got what she deserved, but the men... Uh, got what they did not deserve. They were not guilty. They were not. Uh, they did not uh, do what, what they were accused of. 
the media destroyed them. They're, you know, everybody knew about it from um, the top down, and uh, their lives are destroyed. So, other people can destroy your reputation. So, how do we how do we develop a good reputation? How is how does that happen? What are the steps? Let's talk about the steps of how you get there. Understanding that it's a public perception and people may um, try to destroy your reputation, may even destroy your reputation. Um, although we have to. Um, we have to agree with what John often says is that time and truth go hand in hand. So over time, the truth came out. It didn't uh, really restore those men in particular because of the public opinion. But um, in a church setting, I think that time and truth definitely has, um, the truth has come out over time. Well, let's think about, before we move on to this very last thing, and it looks like I'm going to be done quite early, so you guys can have some more fellowship uh, or get to your next uh, seminar. We should be quick to protect others' relationships. When we hear something about someone, gossip perhaps, we need to be very careful about that. We don't want to be put into the situation that some of these other people were falsely accusing someone or uh, trying to destroy someone's character um, that is not proven, that is not true. Especially in the church, we should definitely want to encourage one another, uplift one another, protect one another. And we don't want to cause someone to have a bad reputation, particularly if it's not deserved. So we're going to finish with Philippians 2, um, and we're just going to walk through a few verses here, 12 through 15, and talk a bit about it. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, so a key element then of developing a good reputation, these are steps now, we're talking about steps of developing a good reputation. Obedience, obedience to Scripture is going to be a key one. Not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. What's displayed there? Integrity. Now we see integrity throughout all of these examples of a good reputation. Integrity, 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 integrity. Key, key element. Have integrity. Work out your salvation. Right? Uh, being a believer and growing in Christ takes effort. It takes Bible study takes prayer, takes uh, discipleship, it takes a lot of things. It's a lot of work. You need to put out the effort. You need to work on your salvation, growing, um, 
with fear and trembling. That speaks about humility, right? We're working out our own salvation, but we're not doing so um, in a proud manner. We're doing so humbly. And why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work as we are being obedient. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work as we are being obedient. And um, I can't help, one of my favorite verses I go to all the time, I've been to any of my seminars, I've probably mentioned it somewhere. It's First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 3, which displays this very thing. I think it's amazing. It says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So obviously, the first part of it is put off sin, right? Put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all sin, right? And... When you work at that, you will develop then a hunger for the word. A hunger like newborn babes longing for the pure milk of the word. So you're being obedient to putting off sin. The Holy Spirit's putting a hunger in your heart for the word. You're studying the word. But I think the most interesting thing about this is that it says, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. And the Greek, you have to understand, this is, this is something that's happening to you. Okay? You're putting off sin. You're developing a, an appetite for the Word. But as you study the Word, something is happening to you that you're not in charge of. And that is that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. And of course, the last part of it is if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, which is, it, it, this happens only to believers. This happens only to believers. So let's carry on. Do all things without grumbling. No, I went backwards, didn't I? No, I didn't. Okay, do, th- do things with, uh, without grumbling or disputing. That is to have a good attitude. We have to have a good attitude about this process we're going through. Uh, it can be difficult. This world, it can really drag you down. It can really test you. It can really uh, cause you to, to doubt. It can cause a lot of things. But as we rely on the Lord and we um, go through life understanding that He is sovereignly in control of all these things, we have to go about it with um, a good attitude. And finally, so that... You will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Again, as we live for Christ, 
We are so different than the world, this crooked and perverse generation, that we appear as lights, which gives opportunity for witnessing, right? It gives opportunity, shows us apart from the world. A good representative of God in a wicked, wicked world. And with that, my notes are finished, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, Father, we've covered... um, a myriad of passages of scripture and some life studies. We've looked very deeply into the characteristics of a good reputation. I pray that each person here would take this to heart, will work upon their reputation, continue to develop it, understand the importance of it, and you would uh, use your Holy Spirit to grow those in the Word who are being obedient to your word. In Christ's name, amen.